Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. This past week has been as unpredictable as the Rockets' season. They blow a 19-point lead to the Lakers with James Harden in the lineup and beat Golden State at Oracle without James Harden. To help me dive into the latest is huge Rockets fan and NBA official Scott Foster. Nah, nah, I'm just kidding about that. He, he, he's got... He's got grudges to handle. Instead, we got the Rockets beat writer for The Athletic, Ali Bajani. Great to finally talk to you, Ali. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I might as well just get right into that right off the bat. What did you make of the Scott Foster controversy? You hear players going after bad officials all the time or bad officiating, but you don't typically hear an NBA union president, Chris Paul, publicly state that he's met with the league about a certain official and he doesn't know what else to do. It's it's a very interesting situation because the Rockets have lost. I think their playoff from last year's playoff, they lost, they've lost three playoff games with Scott Foster officiating. This season, they've lost a few games with Scott Foster officiating. So clearly, there is something going on there. I wouldn't say that it's rigged, as some fans are saying, but I, I really do think I think a safe solution is if the NBA is saying, "Hey, look, when Scott Foster is doing these games." Things are tend to be going on that we don't want. Some ex, we, there's like some extracurricular activities going on that we don't want. We don't want to force that hand and continue to you know perpetuate this. I think a simple solution is hey, let's not worry about Scott Foster when we're doing Rockets games. But you also have to look at the other side of the coin. Scott Foster does Western Conference Finals games. He does Eastern Conference Finals games. He does NBA Finals games. He's in All Star games. He is clearly one of their lead officials in the NBA. So if the NBA has you know, complete trust in him to put him in positions like that to ref those biggest games of the seasons. And, you know, I, I really don't see him going anywhere. I think ultimately, I, I don't honestly see a solution inside. But to be fair, I, I really do think the easiest thing to do is, hey, if the Rockets are playing, you know, it's the Western Conference Finals, you have Scott Foster, you have a couple of the guys who are on deck to possibly be officiating those games. You know, I, I think the NBA should make that safe decision to go with some other guys just to keep all this from not happening. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I mean, does Adam Silver want to take the chance of the sideshow and all of that's gonna that it's gonna tail with that? With you know, if you put him into a, a game that the Rockets are playing in, in the playoffs, I mean that that just doesn't seem like it would make sense for the league. And I, I think Adam, unlike some of the other commissioners, he's smarter than that. Yeah, no, and he is, and I think I, I really like the transparency that they have with the NBA officials and the referees and stuff like that. And I I, I don't know if after that game, a pool reporter did ask Scott Foster about those decisions. I would love to see what his response was on that. But ultimately, look, the simple solution is, and it may not be the best solution, but the simple solution would be just don't let him ref any more Rockets games. I think for both sides, um, that'd be smart. But then you also have to understand from a much more unbiased perspective, he's a, he's a referee who clearly grades well for them because he does all these big marquee matchups and he does all these big championship-level rounds and if he's able to officiate those things clearly the nba trusts him to make those decisions and i just don't really see the rockets winning any of these battles um i think ultimately the twenty five thousand dollars of chump change that james harden got fined i think ultimately sheds to light some of the stuff that happens but i don't i don't really think it changes anything from scott foster's perspective yeah i, I don't know what else uh the league can do obviously you you said it that he's he grades out well i don't know it, it's it's gonna be interesting to see where they go from here, but uh, the Rockets added two players on 10-day contracts because we got to talk about that. They, they, they had Chris Chioza and the almost forgotten Terrence Jones. My last memory, memory of Chioza was a buzzer beater 
in the NCAA tournament game against Wisconsin. It was a pretty cool buzzer beater. My last memory of Terrence Jones, though, unfortunately, was a lot of bad defense for the Rockets. Out. Get a party like it's 2016. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not the same as 1999. But, no, you, you, I, I think you're going to ask me about Terrence Jones. I, I, you know, Terrence Jones is a guy, when you talk to scouts, when you talk to people around the league, he's a guy who has all the talent. He had the talent here as well. But it was, it was very difficult to put it all together and kind of deal with some different issues that he had with coaching staff or whoever it may be around the league. Um, he played in China for a little bit. Now he was in the G League. He seems like a guy who really wants a second chance, and I think he's open to that. Um, the Rockets wanted to get him in the system. That's kind of why initially when he first signed, I was thinking he also might go to the G League for a bit just kind of get the system back uh, in his memory. But, you know, with all these with all these injuries, with Iman Shumpert, with the whole Daniel Howe situation, you know, Robert, we both know the Rockets have an injury bug. You know, I, and I, I wouldn't call it injury bug per se, but, you know, they have something going on where it seems like guys go down and they have to have a next man up mentality. It would not be the craziest thing in the world if we possibly saw Terrence playing some minutes eventually, if these injuries kept happening. Now, before Rockets fans start attacking and saying, Oh, we don't want that happening. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible. That's why they brought him as an insurance guy, somebody who knows the system really well, who knows the organization really well, knows how they want to play. Clearly a guy who's been putting up great numbers in the G League, who has talent still. Um, that's all still there. And if he can put that all together, I guarantee you this opportunity here can allow him and vault him towards having another opportunity somewhere in the NBA. But I really do think ultimately it came down to Let's look at the luxury tax. Let's look at all these different things. These two moves, I think the whole Chris move. Um, Chris, can you remind me how to say his last name? I'm it's Chioza. As, as far, I had to look it up myself. It's Chioza. I yeah. remind myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you see my last name. People can butcher my last name, so I want to make sure I don't butcher his last name. Uh, but yeah, with, with, with that guy, man, he, he's going to probably end up being in the G League a lot, right? He's not going to be somebody who plays a lot of minutes. The Rockets have their guard rotation pretty much set. Uh, we would agree with James Harden, Chris Paul. Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers. You have four guys there, all who will be playing big minutes because the Rockets, as we've seen, even when Clint and Kenneth are playing together, they still want to go small a little bit. And ultimately for them, small going small is the best way they can switch these lineups. So the, the lineups are going to stay the same. Ultimately, these two moves come down to just adding some guys for depth, you know, getting up to that 14, 15, you know, rosters, uh, roster spots uh, covered. Um, but we'll see what happens if these injuries keep going. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the injury bug because to me that's been Daryl Morey's biggest miscalculation this year is you can't have dead guys on the roster. In other words, guys that you just can't play. Uh, Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, uh, Carmelo Anthony turned out to be one of those guys once they sent him into exile. And, and you had so many of these guys that were on the roster that the Rockets just couldn't play this year. And then what happens is you've got a roster full of guys that when you, that you do want to play, but they can't play because they're injured a lot, whether it's Chris Paul or Eric Gordon or Nene. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Ali. You know, that should have been right in Daryl's face. Like, you know that going into the season, and yet he, he, he had all these guys. And that, that you know, as smart as he is, that, that, that just still ticks me off a little bit that he didn't realize that was going to happen. I will say this, though. I... I really thought that some of these moves could have worked out really well in their favor. I mean, I'll, I'll go through each of one of them by example. Low risk, high reward. That's what, that's what I was thinking. You have Mike Carter-Williams, a guy who was a guard throughout his whole career, lengthy guy who has great wingspan. They thought when he, come, when he came here as a guard, he could transition into a wing guy who can come off the dribble, catch and shoot some threes, 
push it in transition. And we saw that early on. He had that. But then his jump shot didn't start falling. It didn't fall at all. And he got tentative. The confidence went away. Pre-game, I used to like to get to Toyota Center pretty early. And Michael Carter-Williams is one of their you know, first Rockets players to come out on the court, warm up. And he would usually, before every game, spend time working on his elbow and release mechanics on the three ball. And he would put a basketball in between his elbow and his, and his shoulder, work on his release a little bit. I mean, when a guy has been in the league that long and you need him to be a three-point shooter, I don't think that's the best confidence booster for him to continue working on that kind of thing <laughs> um, during the season and, and for a guy that you've wanted to play big minutes early on. Am I wrong there? So, you know, that, that, that's one thing. I think ultimately if he, if he had knocked, knocked down threes at a high clip, at least 35%, he could have stayed around because – 35% is all you need in this high-volume offense to be able to convert those catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, with James Innes, another guy, very aggressive pick-and-roll defender. I think ultimately that's where he saw, saw the most success with Memphis was he was able to come around those screens, be really aggressive, force those steals. That's why when the, in the grid and grind days with Tony Allen, those guys like that, he had success. And then, you know, in a couple seasons ago when Memphis took Golden State to six games, he was a big reason why, because of his defense against Clay Thompson, guys like that pushing them out of their preferred spots on the floor. Um, the Rockets thought he could be a guy who could help replace Trevor Ariza. They entrusted him as well to shoot more threes here. Coach D'Antoni told him during the summer, hey, I want you to have a career high in three-point attempts, which he did. And he was shooting them at a 40% rate, but he's not the same guy as Trevor Ariza. Trevor had a quick trigger. He was a much better defensive rebounder. Ennis, on the other hand, is a much better offensive rebounder. All those things you were missing with Trevor, this Ennis just couldn't make up for it. So ultimately, that didn't work out well. Then, Robert, as we know, Carmel Anthony, the guy with the biggest name um, in free agency for the Rockets, just because of his name and the, uh, he, who he is as a future Hall of Famer. The Rockets brought him in. You know, Ultimately, they thought it could work. They had Chris Paul here. They had James Harden here. Coach D'Antoni has a relationship with him. A lot of different guys who respect him in this locker room. He went to training camp. He went to the Bahamas with them. They had a great time there. They got together, uh, you know, put together different drills. They, they thought that, you know what, this guy looks good. He looks good in shape. He's shooting. He's knocking threes down. But when the season started and the, te- and the team uh, started fa- facing some adversity, the biggest thing for Carmelo Anthony that, that went against his favor was that he was inconsistent. There were games. There were three games, I believe, um, um, I may be paraphrasing here in terms of stats, but I ho- I'm pretty sure I'm correct. Three games where he had above 20 points. Nine games, or uh, otherwise, he had points in the single digits. Now, that is a very high variance uh, in between points scored uh, for a team, and for especially for a guy who's coming off the bench as that first big. And ultimately, you can't have that for this team. You need a guy who can consistently knock down threes at a 40% clip, not somebody who can roar and spurt for 20-something points one game out of every three or four games. And ultimately, that combined with how teams were attacking him defensively, it just wasn't the best fit on the court. He wasn't a good switch defender. The Rockets still wanted to switch. They still want to play like they did last season. And when you combine all those three things, those three guys who were supposed to be big pieces for this rotation, it didn't work out. You lost all your depth. And this is what happened when Chris Paul went down, when all these guys went down, James Harden to pick up the slack. James Harden is playing the most minutes in the NBA this season. And guess who's right behind him? P.J. Tucker. Um, and when all these things happen, obviously the, the finger pointing will go to Daryl, but I think ultimately it was just a perfect storm in terms of injuries, in terms of guys just not playing to their roles, playing to their strengths, and that's where the Rockets suffered.
It's extremely disappointing for all of us that fell madly in love with Daniel House that Daryl Morey has no interest in offering him roses and chocolates until the offseason. Is there any chance in hell we see him before the magical playoff deadline? Did the Sloan Conference Superman badly miscalculate this? There is a chance. And last time I was at Toyota Center before the All-Star break, there was you know, cautious optimism that something could get done before March 1st. Now, we're slowly approaching March 1st. Um, we'll see what happens there. But I, I, I do think something could happen. Ultimately, what it came down to, Rockets offered him a deal. A couple of non-guaranteed years on that. His team rejected. Rockets came back, offered him three full years guaranteed. They rejected it again. Felt like they did, when they go into the offseason, they could get something better. Now, for a guy who has been cut by multiple teams, who hasn't had a legitimate long-term contract yet in the NBA, to turn down three years, three years fully guaranteed, not just guaranteed, and not, not just non-guaranteed like some guys get, three years fully guaranteed. Now, that was a bit of a head-scratcher for me, but what do I know? Maybe his agent and his representatives feel that there is a good deal to be had in this summer in free agency for him, and a three-year deal, but that gives his, their client a lot more money. Um, but that being said, the Rockies tried their best. They have to do what's best for them and for their flexibility. Um, ultimately, I like, to, I like to compare this to Gary Clark. Gary Clark got a three-year deal, right? He was an undrafted rookie, played his butt off, got into the rotations. A guy the Rockets really like a lot as someone who can stretch the floor, be a great screener. I like to compare it a lot to P.G. Tucker in terms of how, where his ceiling can be as he, as he develops over time in the NBA. But he got a three-year guaranteed deal, uh, partial guaranteed for the second and third year, I believe. But that's the kind of deal I was expecting the Rockets and Daniel House to agree to. Ultimately, his representatives didn't budge. Daniel didn't budge either. He didn't get the deal they wanted, and his two-way contract ran out. Now he has to stay in the G League until at least the G League season ends. Um, but I'm just like you, Rob. I really like Daniel a lot. He was an elite category in transition for the Rockets. He really helped push the pace. He really made it easier for James Harden uh, to get open in transition and get some of these easy step-backs going, layups inside. And a lot of people don't know this, but James Harden and Daniel House are very tight. Um, Daniel House works really hard. He's a very hard worker. He oftentimes stayed with James Harden. They would play one-on-one against each other um, after practice. All these different things, all these different habits. Daniel House has been picking these things up from James Harden who's also a gym rat. Um, so the Rockets would really like to have Daniel House back. We'll see, we'll see if it happens now or if it happens in, off, in the offseason. Is the Trevor Ariza, is that boat sailed because – you know, he could still get bought out, I guess. And does he, would he make a fuss? Maybe, maybe his agent makes a fuss. Last, last, yeah, no, last thing I heard was that he wants to probably end up staying in, in Washington. And I think ultimately Washington traded for him with the idea of, look, he's towards the latter stage of his career. We can, we can reget his bird rights in that trade and we can offer him a four year deal, maybe seven to $6 million per year. Now think about it this way. In a league that needs to have guys like Trevor's with Trevor's length and Trevor's shooting, four years for you know, 15, 20, 24 million isn't a bad thing. And when you have his bird rights, you can offer him that kind of deal. So ultimately, I really do think that he's going to end up staying in Milwaukee. Um, I think, you know, as much as we want Trevor Ariza back on the Rockets, I don't think Trevor Ariza is what the Rockets need. I think the idea of what we thought Trevor Ariza was last season is what the Rockets need. But I don't think this current Trevor Reza could give that team that. 
One of my biggest concerns at the moment is P.J. Tucker's minutes. You just mentioned it. His shooting outside of the Golden State game has taken a sharp decline as the season has gone along. I was happy to see Fareed playing some of the four because that's a way to get Tucker down to 30 minutes a game, which is, I feel like, where he needs to be. Are you a believer in Fareed at the four and concerned at all about P.J.'s playing time? Yes to both. I I will start off with P.J. P.J., his three-point shooting percentage, if you look at quarter by quarter, the first quarter is usually around that 40, 40% range. As you go on throughout the game, it dwindles more and more. And what what's bad for the Rockets is teams late in games are going to double James. And when that happens, there becomes a four-on-three situation when that screener has to make a decision. And oftentimes, that's Capella, Nene, Farid, whoever that is as a screener, gets the pass and will make a short pass to the corner. And the best three-point corner three-point shooter on the Rockets is P.J. Tucker. But if he's, if his legs are dead tired, and he can't get lift on that shot. He can't make it. That's not good for the Rockets. And that's what we saw a lot in the last 26 or so games. And ultimately, I think with PJ here, I mean, with Farid here, you can just spell those minutes off of PJ. And not only that, you have somebody whose energy can lift the bench unit up. And, and I really do think that Farid can definitely work out of that power forward spot. I'm not going to lie to you. Once I first saw uh, Farid come in the game against the Lakers as power forward, I looked, I looked around, and I looked with, with the people I was watching the game. I'm like, this, this is crazy. I, I would never believe that Coach D'Antoni would play two guys who can't shoot three-pointer at the floor at the same time at the big position. But it has worked out really well so far. But I will have a caveat here and say the two teams the Rockets have played with the Fareed and Capella lineup have been the Lakers, who like to drop their big back in coverage, and against the Warriors, who also like to do the same with DeMarcus Cousins. And when we saw... Fareed and Capella played together yesterday for 20, about 22, 23 minutes. A lot of that was on the same time that Cousins was on the floor too. And what that does is because Cousins is not the most laterally quick guy, you can attack him with double high screens, get him moving towards the perimeter. Then you have two guys who can go. One guy can pop out. One guy can collapse inside on the roll, finish over Cousins and, and stuff like that. And I think that's ultimately why it works. Where the Rockets were struggle is against teams like Oklahoma City who can spread the floor out, use their length to make it disruptive on these guys. And I think in, in spots, Kenneth Freed and Clint Capella can definitely work. As a starting tandem, as some people may want, I don't see as the most optimal solution for the Rockets. Your uh, partner in crime over on The Athletic, Kelly Iko. I saw him on NBA TV this weekend. Turtlenecks, the, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he was going with the uh, Crush Velvet look. I, I want to get your thoughts on him as a as a fashion <laughs> icon and also oh, his, his voice was compared to i think they compared him to biggie do, do you buy into that kelly's fashion is second best to no one this guy has the best fashion and, and i'm just joking he has terrible fashion oh my goodness <laughs> uh nah I, that's my brother i i love kelly uh you know you should see him wearing a white turtleneck now you think that the velvet looks good Wait till you see that velvet suit with the white turtleneck. Then we got a story there. Um, I'm really waiting for the playoffs for him to bust that out so he can have that on NBA TV. That's really funny. Now, in terms of his voice, though, I don't want to boost up his ego, so I think I'm going to keep that to myself. But, uh, no, nah, he, he's great, man. He he works really hard, and and Kelly and I hopefully are doing a good job, man. It's been a fun It's been a fun time covering the team with him. We actually – Covered, covered the team together for ESPN 97.5 in Houston for a season or two. And now it's it's been a blessing to have him as somebody to work with to cover the Rockets as well. And it, it's been great. What's your background for those that don't know? I am actually not old. I'm not in my mid 
30s, as many beat writers are usually are, early 30s. I'm actually in my early 20s. I just graduated from the University of Texas, so hook them. I'm sorry to any of the Cougars guys, Cougars or Aggies listening right now. But no, I, I got into covering the Rockets about five, six seasons ago. Lost track already. He's my senior in high school. Started writing and um, actually Ben DeBose, a uh, friend, friend of the program probably, um, locked on rockets. He, he actually pushed me to start writing. Um, and he gave me the advice that, and I hope, I hope this advice for anybody listening who wants to get into journalism, um, can heed this advice as well is make yourself unique, put yourself in any unique situation that nobody else has already had before. So for me, there's Jonathan Fagan. There's all these guys who cover the team who do a great job of giving the narrative of the team, giving a good insight about how the team is in the locker room, as a locker room, giving great features about the team where I felt like that there was not enough coverage was in the X's and O's. And I really made myself a savant of basketball, the strategy in general. I talked to scouts. I talked to all these different people just to make sure that, Hey, I love basketball, but I want to be able to see their perspectives, what their passion lies from. And from that, I've basically continued to improve as a writer, continue to improve as, improve as a communicator. Now I'm, you know, covering, covering the team for the athletic. And it's been a, it's been a great blessing, man. I, um, a lot of, lot of mentors along the way, but yeah, it's pretty much started as a, as a hobby and it's kind of turned into something even bigger than I could have ever imagined when I first started high school. Is there a piece or a piece coming out or maybe one that you've already got in the can, uh, that's, that's already up on the website that people should seek out? You know, a lot of people ask me this question, do the players have fun playing with James Harden? Great question. Now, if you talk to every player, they'll tell you, yes, we do. Because think about this way, when you have a guy like James Harden, who can get the ball so easily into his teammates' hands that all they got to do is get in the perfect spots and catch and shoot the three. Who wouldn't want to play with James Harden? And I just did a recent story and a feature on James Harden, his leadership, and how he's grown as a leader. He's become a guy who's vocal, who leads by example, and is a great communicator, uh, great with feedback. And I wrote a whole feature on that. That's on The Athletic. I'm also working on a story right now on the Farid and Capella pairing to see if that's feasible can we see that in the playoffs against teams who will space the rockets out on the floor can freed hold his own and switches so i am working on that look out for that later this week on the athletic and that's something i'm really excited to share with everyone when it comes out it's just amazing he was out there isn't it i mean it's hard to believe you know Fareed, he he's worked really hard and I, I i you know i talked to kelly about this too kelly talked to him and he was like you know, I've been working on this three-point shot for a while. I can shoot the shot. I just never did because I was never given the opportunity to. And Coach D'Antoni, what, if he's known for anything, and if he, when one, one day when he retired as an Eagles in the Hall of Fame, one thing that Coach D'Antoni will be known for with his players is the confidence that he gives them. And if you ask any player that Coach D'Antoni has coached, that's the number one characteristic that they'll talk about. And for Kenneth Farid, having that confidence from Coach D'Antoni has meant the world to him. He's showing that on the floor with his energy. He may not be the best defensive player on the court, but his energy and hustle makes up a lot for it. And I really do think that if he plays with that energy and hustle, that no matter how teams will go against him, they can have a positive rating out of that lineup. Last thing, tell people what a bargain the athletic is. I really do think where the athletic stands out is that we don't give you the story that you see. We don't give you the story that you think you know. We give you the story that you don't know. And I think that's where the journalism comes into play is that we try to dive into stories and dive into insight that you've never had before. With myself and Kelly, from a Rockets perspective, um, Kelly's great at features. Kelly's great at getting information and communicating with the audience. Where I feel like I do a great job is my goal when I write 
is my goal is to inform and educate a Rockets fan about the X's and O's about the strategy. So when you watch a game on AT&T Sportsnet or wherever you're watching a game and you hear Craig Ackerman or you hear Bill Worrell talking and you hear Matt Bullard giving the insight, you can see a play being run and you're like, I remember reading about that in the Athletic. That's called 21 series. Or I remember reading that. That's a double drag screen. Or I remember why the Rockets play this lineup. Or I remember why James Harden likes to shoot a lot from the right side than from the left. It's because a lot of these things that we may not necessarily notice on the basketball court, I want to help bring to light. So that whenever Rockets fans are watching the game, they feel like that they have a much deeper connection with their team. That's why I really feel like that likes a bargain because you honestly will not find that anywhere else. Well, if you haven't already, get a subscription to The Athletic. Go check out Ali Bajani's work. It's also at Rockets underscore Insider. Hope we can do this again with you because this has been a blast. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it as well. Um, I've listened to the podcast in the past, and if you aren't subscribing already, if you're listening – Uh, because of this podcast, I highly recommend you go subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.